0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of iCast Fireball, an actual play 5e D&D adventure where we go through the campaign, Tyranny of Dragons. I'm Thomas, your dungeon master for this adventure, and around the table, we've got...
1: Mickey, who plays Malamara.
2: Jacob, who plays Lance Thalen. And Ned, I play the kobold fleeple. All right. And for this bonus episode, this is
0: our second Word of Recall episode that we've got. Uh, we've got some fan questions that we um, have received from the since the last time we recorded and we did one of these. And we're ready to jump right into it and start answering some more questions about the campaign, some specific moments and character beats, and diving a little bit further into our characters and what happens around the table. So our first fan question comes from Island Halfcast, that's at Island Halfcast, and they ask a question about tabletop games in general, uh, in addition to D&D, and they say, are there elements from other tabletop role-playing games that any of you would want to try porting to a D&D game or already have, or anything from older editions, homebrews, or even just house rules that you have um, that you'd like to put into D&D games? This I think is a really fun question because not not only because we have our sister podcast improv tabletop where Ned literally is using a, another tabletop role-playing system, but uh, there's there's some fun stuff that I I'd like to talk about and that, that I I've got some jumping around in my brain, but I'm going to open it up to the cast is, is there anything that you have played in other tabletop role-playing games that you would like to see in our campaign or things like that?
3: Well, I have a couple that I've definitely used in campaigns of my own. Uh, one, you mentioned that, you know, we use Fate in Improv Tabletop, and there's a system in Fate called Fate Points, where you can spend a Fate Point to potentially get a reroll, And it's very similar to a system called Savage Worlds. They have something called Bennies, where if you do something really cool then maybe the dungeon master will give you one of these bennies and you can spend that to get a re-roll. Oh, okay. It's very similar to inspiration in 5e where the dungeon master can say that was really great. That was a good piece of uh, character moment or whatever the case may be. You can have inspiration. And I right, for right. my home campaigns have implemented something that we call punspiration. Uh, it kind of <laughs> was born from the idea of if you can make the cast laugh, then the dungeon master will give you this Point of punspiration that you can have in addition to inspiration, and it's a system that flows a little more freely than inspiration. I think Ned would be or overflowing
1: with punspiration. There, there have been many <laughs> moments true. when
3: my players have been like, "Ned, can we give you punspiration?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, if we do that, then you guys are in bad luck because I'm you don't you're want pretty the right much guys to have inspiration. It's a bad thing.
2: My um, question is if it's, if it's a real stretch of a bat of a pun and it's just terrible. Do-
3: doesn't <laughs> get taken away bad
2: pun bad punspiration we're taking it away
3: yeah, there, there
1: disadvantage on your next role
3: there definitely are moments where I have to be judicious about whether I hand out punspiration but can't make you groan too much yeah but kind of a more something that gets a bit more into like storytelling philosophy that I do is something that I picked up from monster of the week it's a power oh, yeah. okay. system that I really enjoy, and the way that they handle locations is really fascinating. Uh, they have a motivation for each different type of location. So in Monster of the Week, each location has uh, what they call a motivation. And so you might look at a location, say this is going to be a crossroads, and the purpose of this location is to bring people and things together. Or it might be a hub, which is a place where you uh, reveal information. Or it might be a maze, which is the purpose is to confuse and separate. And often in D and D, most locations kind of default to being a death trap, where the purpose is to harm intruders, or a den, where the purpose Fair. is to harbor yep. monsters. Because you mm-hmm. know this is tied in the origins of D and D. It was based in tabletop wargaming, not so much in storytelling, and so. There have been plenty of moments where I've been like reading through a pre-written adventure and I'm like, why is there a giant snake in this closet? What What is the purpose of having <laughs> this giant snake here? Well, really, the purpose of the giant snake is to give your player something to kill so they can level up. But more and more, but we're getting to the point where I personally do basically always milestone leveling like we're doing with Tyranny of Dragons right now. Right, yeah. And it's not as important to have those little nitty gritty XP grinding encounters. So not every location has to be a combat location. So one thing that I've done in my Curse of Strahd campaign that I'm running currently is I've looked at certain locations and been like, okay, do we really need to have a bunch of combat encounters in this place? No, this place is really more about revealing information to the players and showing them cool, weird stuff. So I just took out a bunch of the combat encounters and they still had a really great time because they were just learning about the cool stuff that was in that place. So, you bring up, uh,
0: Ned, uh, the idea of, like, uh, locations having... (laughs) A lot of the pre-generated adventures that you you buy are wonderful, but they do have, like, this random, like, oh, suddenly there's an undead giant here in this bathroom. What? Why? Why? Why would you have, like, a random undead giant in this bathroom? There's no, like, logical explanation for it, other than the fact of, like, okay the adventurers are probably bored they want to kill something now when you gotta but go you gotta go, <laughs> you gotta go right mm-hmm. uh, but yeah there just seems to be a shift away from that of like well let's let's make it more storytelling st- more story based so we can actually like dive into like character development and stuff and obviously to where they can still use your abilities um and, and i've actually been listening to a YouTube channel called The Dungeon Dudes. I think they got some great stuff on there. Uh, so not not exactly what Ned was talking about here, but they've got a couple of videos up there on like how do you structure encounters and like how do you make a session more engaging for your players. And that that's just seems to be like what you were kind of building on top of Ned as well, of like making it more engaging for your players rather than just always defaulting to battle to be the engaging element of it, being like, this location has a purpose and therefore the story's more rich, which involves your characters a little bit more.
3: Yeah, and we've been seeing this change even to the point where the most recent official adventure, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, you can do a pacifist run if you want to. They wrote it so you don't have to kill anything. Oh, I didn't know that. That's really interesting.
1: It sounds very boring.
3: Okay. <laughs> wow, <laughs> okay. wow. We know, who the, the we
2: know who the non-pacifist in the group is now. <laughs> Murder hobo. Be
1: your Murder true hobo. colors. Copyright. <laughs> I, not so much what I wish I could we could pour it in, but something I miss from Pathfinder is I really miss D twenty PSFRD. I miss having all of my stuff online in one place that I can like just the sheer content and the quantity of content in Pathfinder, and I really miss feet trees. I'm gonna say it. I, I like to fight yes. things, apparently, and I really miss having feats that build on each other and having all of the math and all of the bonuses and all the different things that yes. you build your character out of. I love that 5e e like, is so streamlined, but I miss Pathfinder's complexities.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something uh, that actually me and Ned have talked about off off stream and like off the podcast as well of like uh, 5e is Wonderful for storytelling, but when you really want to like get into it and you want to get into the rules, they, there definitely are some rules, but comp- compare it to something like Pathfinder, or even like 3.5, the uh, edition 3.5 with D&D. And there's a lot of stuff that's missing in 5e, which possibly will be addressed in the brand new edition that Wizards of the Coast will be releasing next year. So maybe, we'll see. We'll have to see what happens there. Um, But yeah, I definitely, uh, feet trees uh, and leveling up your character in that way could be quite exciting uh, as well. Uh, Something that I've actually given a lot of thought to, which uh, hasn't come into our podcast yet, and it may come up, Maybe in the future, it just depends if it can work thematically or skill challenges, Uh, skill challenges were something that were introduced in fourth edition D&D and not a lot of people talk about fourth edition for a variety of reasons, but something that a lot of people have brought into uh, fifth edition is uh, skill challenges. And that basically says instead of just one person, like instead of just hacking and slashing through a situation, you have to try and like actually contribute a certain skill to overcome this major obstacle. Like the room is filling up with water instead of trying to like find the exit necessarily. It could become a skill challenge. And then all of you find a creative way to then implement your skills as a character so you know the rogue can do investigation the barbarian could do strength to like jam their weapon into the gears and things like that um or the druid can do a perception check uh and so and it's based off of the success or failure of each skill anyway that's something i've been thinking about and toying around with uh bringing into i cast fireball as well you heard it here first folks and now they'll call me out when i don't do it (laughs) (laughs) liar Alright, Jacob, anything to add or uh Nope. <laughs> okay, that's um, fine. I that's fine.
2: well and I, 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 I I've played other RPG tabletop settings, but I'm just I'm just a five E purist. I'm just I love the simplicity, yet the eleg it's like you know, you, you you bunch of PC overlords with all your things you want to add. I just want the simple Mac. I want the beauty, the sleek design. I, the, no, I no everything the, that was mentioned is, mentality. Is, is. It just, yeah, it just works, guys. Why fix something that ain't broke? Let the simpletons in. Uh, <laughs> um I but no, everything that was mentioned is, it, I, I I think are really cool ideas. I just I. I'm kind of the opposite of Mickey. Mickey loves her little feet trees and everything. And I just, I like how much D&D can be, 5E in particular, can be for super simple. Or you can add complexity to it. Like there's no necessarily binding restrictions unless you're going into like, you know, like official things going with it but like there are so many expansions out there so many homebrews available that can be added so many different elements you could bring into it i just like that so i'm kind of a little bit more of a 5e purist in terms of just i really love i think it brings in so many uh, the best of all different editions that i've looked into and even then saying this is it but Change whatever you want, obviously, in any homebrew thing you got going on. So that's what I really like. And by the way, just to not spread false information, the new iteration of D and D doesn't come out till 2024. Oh, thank you, thank I, you. For I, the I just looked you. it up, and I was like, "Is it coming out?" But it's 2024, apparently. So don't get too excited yet. You still, you still have to hold on to my 5e for a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful.
0: Well, let's go and jump onto the next question that we've got here. This this question is going to be for Mickey, actually. Now, Mickey. Why is Malamara interested in this mission? Like going to the cultist camp, like why are you interested in this mission? Why uh if Leeple, he has a faith journey and Lance is running from something, but why does Mal want to tag along specifically?
1: The first part of the answer is as a player, I just really hate when people can't commit to playing Dungeons and Dragons when they're playing Dungeons and Dragons when they're like, my character would have no reason to join this or they have no reason to do this. <laughs> and we're not gonna. And I was like, you're playing a team game. Do you want to come or not? Just make a decision. <laughs> and so as a player, I was just like, let's do it. If you listen to the episode, I'm just like, yeah, people, let's go. Um, as a character, I've kind of made the choice that Mal, um, growing up, she was a part of a a clan. She had people around her. And since... Um. whatever happened in her clan happened. Ooh. She's been alone. And so now having this sense of purpose is helpful and having these friends around is much more what she's comfortable with. She's, she's part of a pack. So I think that she just likes that she's going to follow these two because she feels protective of them and she's part of their pack now and She doesn't want to be alone again. And so this is where she feels comfortable being with him.
0: That's that's precious. The big
2: old softy barbarian warlock.
1: Yeah. You know, everybody says that about warlock barbarians. They're just such softies.
2: You know, that's really where you get most of the heart of the parties in that kind of specialized class. You really, you really feel the warm and fuzzies right there. Everybody needs at least one warlock barbarian multi-classing
0: half-orc in their party.
1: Otherwise, what, what, why, why are girls? we playing this game?
0: Exactly. You're not living up to your full D&D potential. Thanks, Mickey. Okay, we're going to jump to a uh, another question here. Um, this one is for everybody. Now, we ended episode 17 entitled 100 Kobolds, where we found out that there were 100 Kobolds in the cultist camp, which was a shock hashtag for spoiler. pretty much everybody. Hashtag spoiler, right? <laughs> if you're listening to this, you should just assume hashtag spoiler. So. And the episode ended on a cliffhanger with Mal and Lance being revealed as spies. What do each of you remember from that recording night? What was your first reaction when uh, me as the Dungeon Master revealed that they found out you were spies?
2: The first thing I thought was, well, Thomas was right. It's a shaky plan. <laughs> 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 <'Cause>, <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing that I thought just because of us always bringing up that reference that you made. Um, that My thoughts when, when that happened to Lance and Mal was the next beat will determine everything. So, because we left it on a cliffhanger, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. find out exactly the next thing if Thomas just starts like, put them in chains, it'll be like, all right, we're fighting. Like, here we go. But if they're like, Explain yourselves. And I'm like, okay, maybe we have something to play with here. Maybe we have some room, Mm. some room to dance, some room to tango here. And those are my kind of thoughts. I also thought of like well no, those are my main thoughts. It's just I need to wait for the next beat before I make any overarching decision. And when the next episode pops up and they you're kind of doing explain yourselves kind of thing. I thought, all right, all right, I'm going to see what is going to say and see if there's any way Lance can poke holes or almost cause this to be used against the people who are accusing him of being a spy. Kind of like a rogue does. You find, where, you find where the other person's off balance and you, you know, like a rogue, sneaks around in the shadows, finds the weak spot, and then attacks. And so he's just waiting it out, not making himself known or bold, but waiting for maybe a slip. So that's that's what was running through my mind. Okay. But it'd be interesting to find out what was running through Mickey slash <laughs> slash Malamar's mind.
1: Well, that's why you're playing the rogue because in my mind, it like my mind's eye. It was like an anime scene where everybody stops, and then an explosion of like at, like just motion of like I take out my action, I throw it to that person, and we're just gonna. And I was like, we're gonna murder everybody in this tent, or we're gonna get murdered now. Like there was never. An option in my brain that was like, we could talk our way out of this. It'll be fine. <laughs> and anyway, I was like, we're going to start, we're going to fight, and we're probably going to die, and we're probably going to run out of the tent. Um, stay close.
0: <laughs> There's that warlock barbarian
2: mentality.
1: We're going to have to murder
0: everybody. Everybody in the tent. It's I remember all
2: initiative.
1: Everybody has to die.
2: I thought briefly as well, I wonder how soundproof this tent is because <laughs> I was going to be like, blah, blah. blow it up but i was like i wonder how soundproof this thing is will he be able to hear me from
1: that was my second image was us just turning and running from the tent just (laughs) out
3: yeah my reaction was also fairly pessimistic as far as being able to talk our way out of it well i mean my, my first first reaction was wow mickey and jacob look really angry at thomas right now um (laughs) My second reaction was, okay, we're going to have to figure something out, but you know what? We've been planning for how many episodes at this point, and Ned, the player, Ned, the improviser, is like, we've been spending too much time planning, let's just get the action moving, let's kill some stuff, Um, which is you know, the more murder, mo- the more murder hobo way of looking at things, but also it's like, you know, this is D and D we're supposed mm-hmm. to kill stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was my first response. Uh, but I was floored that Jacob pulled up as good of an argument as he did the next episode. Yeah. Seriously,
0: Seriously though. I mean, the argument that the argument that Jacob Lance pulled out, I was like, Oh wow. You're convincing the dungeon master who said that you like, are in this kind of impossible situation here and i'm like okay all right it was
2: okay <laughs> it was it was major props there that's for sure it's just one one i was rolling so well with deception that whole time and one and it was not a terrible role but it wasn't a great role it was just like oh yeah i think it was like a nine though and it was like yeah uh, it, was, it was somewhere like in maybe low teens i can't remember exactly what the role was yeah or like yeah it wasn't the best but, yeah, I just – well, and I thought, like, when you started talking, I'm like, okay, is this uh, – and I forgot the name. Who's the name of the person who was accusing us of being spies? Balam. Oh, Balam. Balam, uh, so which I think I kept mispronouncing name. as Balaam. <laughs> the whole time. But, yeah, Balam. Uh, uh, yep, Kawabe, kebab, Kebab. Uh, Balam, I, I also thought during that time, and I think this was me, the player, and also Lance – Like, a thought that Lance would have is like, this person isn't virtuous. They're not like, I'm helping the camp. Let me help you. It's like, no, you're out. You're out for your own. You're you're trying to up your ranks. You're trying to do the things that I literally thought or that I'm literally supposed to find out who is trying to, you know, sabotage the camp or sow dissent to improve their chances. And I'm like, well, you're kind of doing what I was supposed to be looking for. (laughs) And you just talked about it. So...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a tense and very fun moment for all of us, I think. It
2: was intense in a mm-hmm.
3: tense, at least. Oh, Except for Fleepo, <laughs> Fleepo <Flipple. Flipple> was <laughs> intense. Fleepo was outside the whole time.
0: <laughs> yeah, you were you were sipping your wonderful bordeaux, you know, with uh, all your your fine cheeses. All right, let's move on to the next question that we got here. We've got another fan question. This one is from at They ask, how do you decide how much background to give a character or how much room do you leave the dungeon master to play with? I, I'm assuming this is in initial character creation here. Um, and we've talked kind of briefly about it I know Mickey you talked about this in in sort of your uh meet and geek or your your episodes with Malmara, but if you were to maybe summarize in like maybe a minute or two each of you a minute or two how much do you flesh out and how much do you yeah how much do you leave up for interpretation
1: I just looked it up I gave Thomas five pages of backstory <laughs> yes <laughs> Which part of that is explanation of just a backstory. And part of it was, like I said, in my episode, I like to um, do dialogue. So he kind of gets an idea of how characters in my backstory have speak to each other. And part of that was like the patron's perspective and then Malamara meeting her patron and different things that I felt would be important to her. But I've also, like I said, I leave a lot of stuff up to Thomas of There's a couple of things that I'm like, honestly, I don't have a solution to this. DM's choice. If this character comes back or not, DM's choice. I don't know what I'm doing right before. Apparently, I'm part of a caravan. DM's choice. Yep,
0: I was just about to bring up the caravan.
1: (laughs) So I like to give a really... I like, personally, to really flesh out my character, who they are, and their world. Where they came from right before a campaign. And try and give relevant details to the dm but leave a couple surprises that even i as a player don't know because that's interesting when you then run into them because you don't know what that secret's going to be because the dm has chosen
3: on my side of things i leave it largely up to like how much information does the dungeon master want with this campaign thomas gave us kind of a lot of freedom as far as character creation he didn't have like specific demands of us So I basically just gave him... This is as much of Fleeple's backstories as going to inform why he's going on this adventure and why he wants to be part of this journey. Whereas in another campaign I'm in right now, I basically got to invent the entire lore of the Eladrin race on my friend's homebrew world that he was creating. So it really comes down to like the needs of the adventure for me. And in some of my campaigns that I've run, like the next campaign that i'm going to be starting up hopefully pretty soon here it's a 20 level campaign odyssey of the dragon lords and because it's such a long scale epic ranging campaign i have like i have legitimately a 26 item questionnaire that i'm sending to each of my players going into like what's your history what's your personality what are your goals whereas in my curse of Strahd campaign that i'm running right now we knew that, okay, you're going to get torn out of your homeworld into this strange place. So it doesn't necessarily, it's not as integral to the story, what your relationship with your family is, that kind of stuff. So it really depends on the needs of the campaign, but I'm of the mentality that a player can never give me too much information because those are all gifts that I can use to create more gifts to give back to them during the storytelling process.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been really great. And uh, uh, before Jacob jumps in here, everybody here uh, in iCast Fireball they they gave me a ton to work with, which just every single moment was just another gift. And and there were even moments where we would sit down and we would work something out w- with each other. I think Jacob, you and I did that, being like, "Hey, I want to work I want to work this specific moment with you or this specific person from your background or whatever," or, you know. And so it was just. It was really exciting the more information that I was given to be able to flesh out these moments and these little like uh, nuances um, when uh, you see this out of the corner of your eye, which could spark something. Jacob, did you have anything? Uh, what what were you gonna say?
2: Uh, I'm kind of similar to to Mickey, where i I didn't write five pages. I'm not that similar. i'm not I'm not that cool. Um but i did I did create a pretty extensive kind of, uh, backstory to to this character, and I try and do that for most characters um, in D&D, but I, I really like to leave a space of time that I can't control. Usually what I do is I, I create a backstory about like where they're from, what they've gone through, maybe some big crucial moments that are maybe like leading them to wherever the campaign starts, but I like to leave a space of time and obviously a lot of things unresolved so that one, the, the DM can play around with that space of time of like what's really happened in between that moment and the start of the campaign and also that there's a lot of unresolved things. I really try and plant that in the backstory pretty well What there's a lot of like little pop-ups where it's like, oh, this could be something that I could play with later. Maybe this moment of like a childhood friend or this thing where... There was maybe like a grudge against somebody that never got resolved or someone cheated somebody and it wasn't a big moment for the character, but it might have been a big moment for the, the other person. So I try and leave a lot of those so that the DM can have a lot of freedom in manipulating that um, and, and throwing cool gifts and surprises along the way an example of this is like you said with, with the caravan where Mickey's like, I'm in a caravan apparently. I didn't know I was going to have a bodyguard. <laughs> and that was the thing <laughs> you threw at me. And I was like, oh okay. I, that makes sense. <laughs> Lance hired a bodyguard, you know, to, to protect him because he's very skittish of anything coming at him. But I did not know that was coming out. I didn't know who this guy was. And I realized within the first five minutes I hate this guy. So I love this. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, no wonder it was you're great. so
1: angry at Kebab yeah
2: I, well and i loved it i loved that like i'm like this is someone that my character would hate and i love that i can play with that, <laughs> and then you can play with it and so i thought i thought it was it was awesome so yeah
0: i'm just so glad my players yes and so hard
3: <laughs> very grateful for that immediate follow-up question jake who's the other party of this grudge that you just mentioned
2: that was not that was not this character okay, uh, this character. Yeah, well sure. well that's not true. <laughs> that's hey. not true, maybe. Now that I'm remembering what I wrote, hey. there might be another one of those things. But I remember in in one in one character backstory, this was another campaign I did where it was um basically like the Oh, what was it? I was a half orc ranger, and he did something that was just like a small moment to him. Where I was like, oh, he joined this thing, and and they were going around doing this stuff, and it was just a very side note in the backstory. But then I remember the DM who was for that campaign used that to be like someone majorly held a grudge because of that, and I was like, oh, dang, that was just like a side note, but it turns out to be a major crux in what's going to happen. So, so that that that's where that came from. But uh, now that I think about it, there might be there might be a grudge out there for
3: Lance.
0: <laughs> yes, there might be
3: a grudge. I'm going to have to listen back through this and figure out everybody who Lance has slided so that I can know who we're going to have to kill in the future. <laughs> I, mean, I will say, what? I, I can't that remember. is going to be the big bad evil guy. Yes, exactly. we do
2: know that.
0: I mean, I that is confirmed. I can't remember
3: what episode
2: it was, but I did drop at one point, I did drop a hint of something of like a major, a major hint of what was possibly coming for Lance.
0: But so if you have an idea of what that is, go ahead and post it on our social media webs there. It's fashion design. He's running away from it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I mean, Lance's fashion is quite on point. As um, That Mono was Datt something. Also, point out.
2: Sorry, that's totally random. I remember that moment where you're like, it's a very good fashion choice. <laughs> I was just like, what? I did not expect that <laughs> to all of a sudden be a bonding moment between the big bat of the cultist camp and Lance that they agreed on
1: fashion anything me.
2: besides the black robes but you know
0: yeah
3: fashion is a very cutthroat industry and that's why he's it already. is
2: it is it is a very cutthroat it industry. Is. yeah who knows who lance stabbed in the back for for a, a chance well, let's go ahead and push it off uh, from me
0: to my players here. Uh, there are a lot of questions that uh, I think some of you might have t- for me. So do any of you have a burning question that you'd like to ask the dungeon master?
3: Yes. Wormbox. Why Wormbox? What Wormbox? How Wormbox? <laughs> Where Wormbox? I will say Listen my. talks about it.
2: Everybody. It's in my everybody, notes. <laughs> everybody freaking Talks about that worm box. I, my wife has been listening and she's far behind, but she just (laughs) got to the worm box episode and she kind of came out of the room she was in, walked straight up to me, and went, What the crap is that? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Sounds like Kelly. (laughs) Sounds like Kelly.
2: Yep. Yep. And I was like, I I don't know. Thomas just threw it at us. Oh man, that worm It's in Mondap's
1: notes. I just re listened to it. I was like, clearly, I was not paying attention because there's a whole thing about mask whispers and the worm box, and I was like, we just skipped it.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, the worm box is kind of a weird thing, isn't it? It's uh, kind we'll a kind of weird, a little, little
2: weird son artifact of there. A- <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna give it. You're not gonna give it up. How are we gonna find out about that thing? Well, you know, what? every just, time we've tried to find you out, you have. Cult. Every time we've tried to find out, you have given us dead ends. We've been like, "Hey, what's this?" Let's roll a bunch of checks, and me and Ned did that, and we asked a couple people about it, and people are just like, "That's just weird," and we're like, "Okay." We have tried, man. We've tried to give you that door.
3: <laughs> okay, okay, Mr. KGDM, Mr. So, Cage over here. If, uh, I, wasn't, I didn't just fall you off will, the uh, truck, man. I know what's going on here. This reeks to me of something that the DM improvised in the moment that wasn't going to be important, <laughs> but now is going to be very, very important later on. Like Coab. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will pull back the
0: curtain on this one. Um, so in the player's handbook there is a handy little table called the trinket table. And when, and if you need like random trinkets to like have a starting item, you know, in your inventory, um, you can roll on it. And so when you were rummaging around, I rolled and then I saw that, uh, that I rolled and I was like, that is the weirdest trinket. I love that. And, um, hence worm box was brought into existence that,
2: that's stupid worm <laughs> that's what it was, it Ned, was a
0: trinket Ned is looking in the trinket table Ned, right now Ned has like <laughs> in the Ned probably
2: handbook. in a in a corner of ned's of ned's apartment is like a a, a wire map linking all these different things and now he found <laughs> out that it's part of a freaking rolodex in the book
3: There's some good tables scattered throughout the books of 5th edition that I have not read all of.
0: So whether or not you believe me that that's where that came about, I'll leave that to you.
2: Worm box. I hate this thing. Worm
0: box. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I I was pretty sure that that was a burning question from at least one of you, so... we got that out in the air. Uh, But Jacob or uh, Mickey, do you have any other questions for the Dungeon Master that you wanted to ask?
2: Okay, as long as we're on random crap. Well, no, this question, never mind. This question, we haven't gotten to it yet. I know that there are quite a few in here, like what was keeping the orcs at the camp. Yes, I'll do that one. I'll do that one. That one was one that I had a question of. Because when I was talking, being all like, oh, I totally represent the higher ups in the cult. And they don't like this camp. And you should help us. The orcs, like, were obviously talking about that they were forced to be here. And I think Lance asked them, like, vaguely why. And they were like, you know why. And I was like, oh, of course I do not. Um, So that was my question. What was keeping the orc part of that orc clan there?
0: Yeah, so that orc clan were... They were kept there against their will, which was pretty apparent. But, I mean... Long story short, and I don't know if this is going to come up in a future episode or not, but so I won't, I, I maybe won't get into all of the details, but this is what I can share. Um, those orcs were basically coerced if they're, if they wanted their tribe to continue and to live and to, to exist, that they had to send a platoon to work for the cultist camp. And so they, they had this platoon that was there, you know, these 12 orcs that were being held hostage or rather the people back at their uh, their actual clan were being held hostage, um, which is why there was such bitterness and anger and resentment, which is why when you presented the idea of like, let's burn this to the ground, they were like yeah, yeah that's a great idea <laughs> they just needed the spark I mean the, I mean the all the tinder was
3: there, they just needed the spark
2: Gotcha, interesting it'll be interesting to see how or if that comes up later too
3: I think that ties in pretty directly to another question we have on our list about how it was finding out that the orcs were so disgruntled, and mm, yeah, there, there was this social structure going on there.
2: Yeah, because I, I was, I was obviously Lance was the one kind of finding that out. I remember thinking, well, and, and again, it it has to do with actually ugh, a little. Uh, Well, it won't reveal too much, but it has to do a little bit with Lance's backstory of why he speaks Orc. He knew, like, why would, because he knows actually Orcs, not like intimately like, oh my gosh, I know everything about this society and grew up with this society. He knows them pretty well. He knows kind of their structure and their traditions and cultures a little bit. And he's like, this doesn't seem like something Orcs would jive with. And so that's actually why Lance approached them, because he has a little bit of history with Orcs. Or clans and tribes, and so when they were like, we, you know, when he found out that they hate it here, he's like, that fits perfectly with with what we're doing, and and I, I and that's why he went there because he assumed something's going on. They're not just here because they're into this cult thing. This does not seem everything the cult is doing is is in Lance's experience, just in terms of just value not like value as in like oh don't hurt people but like just in the way that they approach things and how they're trying to conquer it's like this does not seem like something orcs would jive with at least the, the, the clans and tribes Lance has interacted with so it didn't surprise me but it definitely it, it it was a cool kind of thing that I could connect to Lance of of why he was going to talk to them and then him understanding a little bit of them of how he could then use them for us trying to get out of the camp yeah that makes sense.
0: Uh, I, well, well, let me actually say words here. Um, while you were talking, Mickey, I've got a follow-up question for you. With the information, I assume with uh, the little bit of downtime the week that you had in Greenest that all of all the adventures or rather everything would be shared amongst each other, um, especially with uh, Lance and Mal awkwardly following each other for that, <laughs> that week time, just kind of circling around each other. But like how do you feel like Mal reacted or would react to understanding a little bit more about the orcs in the camp and their culture and like even that they had some sort of religion or do you think that she would pay mind to that or just shut down any sort of that conversation before it even began
1: very indifferent she would be very indifferent to it I've actually been talking to my husband about we've been fleshing out our character—that's what we did on our date tonight. We were fleshing out Malamara's character because that's what kind of geeks Aww. we are.
2: Oh, Outback uh, steakhouse! The <laughs> best Outback meeting steakhouse yeah. conversation to flesh out some D and
1: D. Um, so I've been trying thinking to f- that your
0: character needs to do this.
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of that, and also uh, trying to flesh out um, her dislike and her emotions about orcs without it feeling so no. Especially because we're improvising, like improv is a lot of yes and it's hard to do anything with no's.
0: Ah, uh, okay. So like, how do you not say no, but still be true to like those emotions that you have is kind of sort of a thing.
1: hmm Currently where she is very indifferent, she had no interest in the orcs of the cultist camp, but maybe in the future that could be something to explore with characterization.
2: Oh, a, yeah. A, a transition from a no to a no but, and then we'll get some yes and.
1: And then we'll get to yes and.
2: Well, let's go to some of our other fan questions that we got
0: here. Also from Island Halfcast. Are there actual play shows like D&D or otherwise that any of you keep up with or inspire you, either as a player or as a dungeon master?
1: All together now? Improv, to critical to role.
2: <laughs> community,
1: community, <laughs> community.
0: I think we actually have a wide variety uh, here. I know that there are some overlap in the cast, but myself, I've I have listened and watched critical Roll in the past, not so much um, recently, but you know that definitely. I mean, that was the whole inspiration for me to try and pick up. Being a dungeon master in the first place is watching Matthew Mercer um, walk Vin Diesel through a 30-minute session. But I actually really, really loved Sneak Attack, which is what kind of inspired me to it, it was like the first steps to wanting to create an actual play DD podcast. The um, and then the biggest push being my wife saying, you know, go for it, you know, just 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 do it. Um but the, those were a lot of the actual play stuff. Uh, right now, I'm currently listening to, uh, it's called The Dungeons of Drakenheim by The Dungeon Dudes, which I mentioned earlier. Um, I think it's a load of, load, load of fun if you're okay with horror elements, but those are the things that I'm currently listening to right
3: now. Yeah, you mentioned Sneak Attack. You introduced me to Sneak Attack, and that was the show that got <laughs> I did, Yeah, I really, really hooked. And you introduced 5e. me as well, yeah. And over the years, that's That was one that I followed very, very closely until they unfortunately uh, had to disband the show. The shows that that I'm currently keeping up with are Critical Role, The Adventure Zone, and Dimension 20. And they're all primarily 5e, but they've all taken. Do you like Dimension 20, Ned? Dimension 20 is amazing. Brennan Lee I love Dimension 20. Oh, Ned. In the entire world. I love that. Okay. (laughs) And as far as like inspirations, uh, when I watch these shows, I always try and learn something from the game master that I can bring to myself. So looking at like the very beginning with sneak attack, Reed was the one who inspired me to use a lot of random rolling in my campaigns, use those tables uh, to give people magic items and whatnot, and to involve a lot of kind of punnery into the way I do things. From Mm -hmm. Matt Mercer, you get the influence of these really intensely fleshed out worlds that are very closely tied with the player's backstories. From Griffin McElroy of the Adventure Zone, you get a lot of the levity and the fact that you can take something really goofy, but also give it a lot of meaning. And then from Brennan, I really like that he uses D&D for his players as a vehicle to kind of like work through a lot of real-world issues and to teach people things about being just a good human in general. And it's all of these things, and they all share various aspects of their DMing styles, but that's kind of what has informed a lot of my DMing moving forward.
0: All right. Well, jumping over to Jacob, it sounds like there's some overlap there as well with sneak attack. Yeah, I just...
2: I just found Dimension Twenty like just a month or two ago and I, I love it's it's so funny. It's really good for improv, but like Ned gave it the best review that there is, so I, I won't add too much to it, but I really like Dimension Twenty as well. Uh, Critical Role, I li- and Sneak Attack, you introduced me to that, Thomas. There's not too many others that I've I've jumped into thoroughly. There's been a couple where I've listened to a couple episodes here or there, but I just love and I think all three of those, Sneak Attack, Dimension 20, and Critical Role, do a really good job in showing just how fun a system it is, showing character development, and dealing with kind of, like Ned kind of pointed out, real world things. Or not even like, well, real Dimension 20 does that really well. But also just that, I don't know, I've always been... Mickey said something earlier that was really cool, where she's like, I don't want to... You know, if it's not my character, I won't do it. I totally agree with that. But I think that it's fun to find the conflict and play it out in the thing. Like whenever we've brought something up, I've never thought Lance is ever going to leave the party or anything. But I've wanted to play around with, like, where can I find motivation in these moments, even in like maybe talking about the conflict or finding things in that? I, I I love that. And I think all three of those do a pretty good job. Sometimes it can be exaggerated and, that's where you have to play the fine line of like, you want to have the conflict. You want to have the yes. And is obviously with improv is a key, but you don't want just yes, men where it's just like, yeah, right, let's do it. Yeah. It's like, well, no, let's find some things where it's at.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and that can lead to a little bit more of talking heads, which, which you want to avoid. And I know I I've needed to improve on that in, at times, but I, 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 I feel all like all, all, all times. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like all three of those do a really good job with that showing, and really making a focus on character growth and showing characters from one spot to another. And I just really enjoy that. And so those are why those three kind of stand out to me as you really see characters starting to understand, starting to learn and the players even being able to learn and understand as they go too. Awesome. Mickey, any others?
1: Just critical role. (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm not a, I, for somebody who's making a podcast, I don't really listen to podcasts. I listen to Critical Role and Improv (laughs) Tabletop. And even then, my husband usually fills me in on Critical Role. I do a lot of ICAST (laughs) Fireball, and I'll listen to a lot of Brandon Sanderson.
2: What's that one? I don't know that one. What's what's ICAST Fireball? Uh,
1: Jake, it's an actual play D&D 5e campaign where we play through the campaign, (laughs) Tyranny of Dragons.
2: Oh my gosh, I love that campaign.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love the little breath intake there. Yeah, one other that I'll throw out there real quick. I'm not super up to date on this one, but I mentioned Monster of the Week earlier as a system that I really like. Uh if you want some of that, The Adventure Zone has a great Monster of the Week arc, but also Monster Hour. Uh I discovered them recently and they do some pretty good stuff. So if you want Monster of the Week, go give them a listen.
0: Awesome. I'm going to have to start listening to some of these episodes. I mean, uh, some of these podcasts with what Ned said in mind, trying to improve uh, as the dungeon master, game master, which I do sort of passively, but I think there's a lot to be learned, a lot to be gained um, if you are trying to enhance just by like looking at other people's art. So, all right. Uh, Well, we're coming close to time here. Uh, I know we've got a couple more questions that we wanted to ask. Are there any burning questions that people wanted to ask?
2: There's one that says, Thomas, what are moments that have most surprised you and that were maybe very like you did not plan for that to happen at all? And then this was another fan question uh, that we got from island halfcast where it says any story DD moments that were really scary nerve-wracking as players so i think those are really cool questions that have to do with moments that weren't expected that maybe scared us surprised us or you know made us change the direction we thought we were originally going to go with
0: yeah let's go and uh start with island half casts then uh, make sure that uh to the players are there any D moments that were scary in this campaign or that
3: were, that were made you nervous and sweat a little bit well there was this one time when we'd spent four episodes planning a <laughs> big old raid on this cultist camp and then it turns out that we were found that was pretty nerve-wracking <laughs> 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 Yeah, that, that would be pretty nerve wracking, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'll I'll say for me, the most nerve wracking moments are still yet to be seen in this podcast. We have some really intense yes. battles that are coming up that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. I I
0: hope so. I mean, uh, at with episode twenty one on, I feel like there's some really good moments that are, are that are that are yet to come.
1: I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for nine to 10 years. And I still think the most scary thing that has ever happened to me was in that episode, we were finding Lenderosa and Mondath and Mal goes down with the two guards right there. And Lance was kind of freaking out and Jake was kind of freaking out and I was kind of freaking out. And then Thomas started, I was like, don't, don't, don't make this into a thing, guys. Let's just, let's just pretend that the guards just walk away and it's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine. Don't worry. It'll be fine instantly like you know somebody <laughs> goes down two hits and that's dead and so i was like it's fine thomas just leave it alone they just walk away it'll be fine
0: just ignore me
2: that moment freaked me out because i was like oh man i did the kind of like okay lance didn't know anything that happened so i'm like lance is gonna keep the Thomas was like you could do whatever you want and i was like I already picked. I feel like uh, 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 I feel like I'm going against what the DM just told me to do, but I felt like that's
1: what I should do. And then him saying that she was like, "He's gonna kill me." It's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine. Let's. Oh. What's my what, my next character? Paladin. Perfect. I'll be a paladin next time. It's fine. I
2: get the bard. I get the bard. Everybody.
0: Oh gosh. Yeah, that was uh, that moment was nerve wracking when I saw mal running after mondath knowing that she only had one hit point i was like all right mondath escapes and mickey's like all right mal runs after her my eyes were just kind of like they just started slowly growing as wide as like uh saucer dishes dishes are saucers are dishes already so i just used the same word twice didn't i there we go well as the dungeon master you have to know your words very elegant I'm, I'm terrible i'm terrible with words everybody for an auditory the only was big and it's,
3: it's this, it was very large this depression in the ground there's like <laughs> there's cliffs that go up around it you, you could think of it like a bowl not not
0: quite a caldera but <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah but that was a pretty terrifying moment there was another moment where like um I all uh, the the original fight with Langdarosa where uh Fleeple almost like literally died, like where Langdarosa unleashed his lightning breath weapon and did like 16, 20 points of damage at level three, that was or level two, that was pretty terrifying for me.
2: I know in that moment for me is like for playing Lance, I had an objective where I was like, I'm gonna save him that's why he threw the potion to Mal down from the wall and then i had my bow aimed at him and i was like please don't go for kills after he's down like kill blows because i will fire this and that means those kids are gonna die <laughs> please don't <Right>. do that.
0: <laughs> yeah oh gosh yeah so a lot of tense moments but i agree with ned i think a lot of tense moments are actually yet to come we've re- recorded a few episodes and i don't think you'll be disappointed as a listener at least i hope so all right is there any surprising moments for me as the dungeon master? Yes. I mean, I I actually didn't expect the battle to ensue inside the tent with uh Mondath and Langdarosa. Hindsight being 2020, yeah, I totally should have expected that. And I totally should have had the battle map already drawn up and ready to go and not have been drawing it after the uh, battle was initiated. But yeah, that was a you surprising you moment said-
2: for me. You mean you, when you said you've been found out, you thought this won't result in a battle? <laughs>
3: <laughs> like I said, hindsight is twenty twenty. everybody. All right? Yeah. Come on. Man, for me, I think the most <laughs> unexpected moment for Fleeple came in the very first episode and really kind of informed my viewpoint on druids moving forward. Because I came into it thinking, yes, I want him to be a flexible character, but I mostly want him to be like a support character and a healer. Because we've got a rogue, we've got a barbarian, uh, a warlock at that point, rather, not very support-oriented classes. And so I thought, I'll have some good utility spells, I'll have some good healing spells, some good support spells, and that'll be my versatility. And then, after the first episode, I was like, oh, turns out I'm also the glass cannon. Um, (laughs) So that, I expected Fleeple to just be a very mild-mannered sort of character, very grandfatherly but there was a viciousness in him that I discovered day one. And that has informed a lot of his motivation towards the world around him moving forward.
0: Not only that, it's also informed the dungeon master on how the story has progressed as well. Uh, I think that was a very surprising moment for all of us, but a very fun moment at the same time when in running over to the cobalt and just like shushing the cobalt jumping on top of him and, but a more light ha- hearted, and maybe maybe I'll end on this. One of the most surprising moments was uh, the character Mud. That was a very fun, surprising Mud. moment there that uh, we all were able to discover together. I'm glad we were able to name him because he will forever live in our hearts.
2: We need and, some. And we need some live. fan art for Mud, please. Anybody and, who wants to
3: and forever living in the the world of the Forgotten Realms, right? He's he's still alive, right?
2: We never found the body.
3: (laughs) Well, we'll find out next time. (laughs) What?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I've got a couple questions that I think we might just have to put on hold here, and uh, I think this has been a great... I think we've dived in a little bit to some of these more specific intense moments, but um, as we mentioned before, I think the best is yet to come island halfcast and kate Florman, thank you so much for your questions that you submitted and if you want to get some questions answered by us the cast shoot us a message either at our email icastfireball2020 at gmail.com or our handle at, at icastfireball20 either on twitter or instagram um, you can follow along and get up-to-date posts about when we're doing more episodes like this, certain episodes that are dropping, um, maybe even some like Dungeon Master notes or some insights from the players. But uh, go ahead and shoot us a message there if you wanted to get some questions answered as well. I think it goes without saying, but thank you so much for listening to this week's bonus episode of I Cast Fireball, where we we are officially calling it Word of Recall. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening and getting these questions answered. So, as always, don't forget our sister podcast, Improv Tabletop, which we mentioned here, where Ned takes a turn as the game master in the Fate Accelerated Tabletop system. Now, this month's adventure is also fan inspired uh, adventure where unlikely cereal box mascots uh, have to perform a heist. And if that subject intrigues you, or if you're just saying to yourself, what the heck, how can that even work? Go give them a listen, go give them a review, and don't forget to shout them out on uh, social media as well. But lastly, like, subscribe, and share with your fellow friends and wacky adventurers. But until next time, I'm Thomas, your Dungeon Master, and around the
2: table, we've got...
1: Mickey, and I play Malamara.
2: Jacob, and I play Lance Thalen. And Ned, and I play Fleeple. Let's keep that
0: fire going, everybody, and we'll see you all next time.